Welcome to The Skin Reel, your guide to all things skincare, skin health, beauty, and more, curated by dermatologists and true skin experts. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Alice Mina. I'm a double board certified dermatologist and dermatologic surgeon with over a decade of clinical experience. If you're looking for real, practical, unhyped skincare guidance and expertise, or you just think the skin is really cool, then you're in the right spot. I'm so glad you've tuned in to The Skin Reel. Now let's dive in because this is how dermatologists talk skin. Hi everyone, quick disclaimer here before we start. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help on your skin journey, please check out the American Academy of Dermatology's website, aad.org, where you can search their database for dermatologists near you. It is so important that you have someone in your corner who's well-trained, licensed, and board-certified who can help you make decisions when it comes to your skin health. Okay, got it? Great. Now for the fun stuff. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on today's episode of The Skin Reel. Today, we are going to be taking an up-close and personal look at the skin through the eyes of a dermatopathologist. Joining me for today's episode is my good friend and colleague, Dr. Joanna Moore. Dr. Moore is a triple board-certified physician leader, mom of twins, and also the founder of She Is Money, an online education and coaching company that helps intelligent women increase their health, wealth, and happiness by managing their own minds. She completed her dermatopathology fellowship in the Harvard Combined Program and has been practicing pathology and dermatopathology for the past 10 years on the central coast of California. I'm so excited to have her here sharing pearls about the skin and all the cool and amazing things she does as a dermatopathologist, and I'm very excited for her to share that with all of you today. So let's get started. Dr. Moore, I introduced you briefly before, but can you briefly tell us about yourself? Absolutely. We first met in our Harvard DermPath Derm training program, and I was so excited to be in that situation where I got to be with the best of the best derms and teach them and also learn from them. So I did my residency and my fellowship at the Massachusetts General Hospital. And then I moved on and I actually did a second visiting DermPath fellowship at UCSF. So I got to see what is going on on the East Coast. And I also got to see what's going on on the West Coast. And because I was born on the West Coast in Seattle and I grew up in California, I felt like it was time for me to come back to the West Coast. And I started my career in San Luis Obispo, California, which is in the Central California coast. And I've been there for 10 years now. So let's just start with the basics. I'm a dermatologist, so I take care of people's skin. Can you tell us what exactly is a dermatopathologist? Yes. 
So I also take care of people's skin, but I also take care of the dermatologist. And what I mean by that is that dermatologists are so great at using morphology or the shapes and the colors that they see on your skin to identify a rash or a different lesion or whether something should be biopsied or not. And what happens then is that once it's biopsied, I look even closer underneath a microscope at that piece of skin and I differentiate a little bit more in detail exactly what the cells are doing so that I can tell the dermatologist yes, you're right. It's this type of a rash or it's this type of a malignancy or it's this type of benign entity. And you can now move on by excising more or by telling the patient that they'll be just fine the way things are. You're absolutely right. The dermatopathologist definitely takes care of the dermatologist. I think I speak to mine on an almost daily basis. So having a great relationship with your dermatopathologist is really key, especially for those diagnoses that aren't so straightforward when you all are looking at them under the microscope. Exactly. Sometimes it takes two physicians to screw in a light bulb. And especially when they are two very intelligent and very well-trained physicians. And that's the thing with both dermatology and dermatopathology, as your audience probably already knows. The dermatologist is so good at looking at a patient's skin and differentiating between what needs to be looked into further and what doesn't so much better than all of the other specialties because that's what they train to do. They have a different color pink for every single entity. So the color pink is different if you have psoriasis or if you have a drug reaction. And I just think it's so amazing that dermatologists can see that. And maybe you even have secret names for them. (laughs) (laughs) You, You are right. There are lots of shades of pink for sure. That's one of the things I love about dermatology is that we can look at the skin and pull out those little details that we've learned through our training to make clinical diagnoses. And there's so much in dermatology that we can do without needing special equipment, imaging, further diagnosing. But there are certainly times that we are unsure what something is, and we really do need to get that biopsy. And especially when we're making decisions about whether something is a melanoma or a skin cancer. That's when our colleagues like Dr. Moore can really play an important role. Absolutely. And even once you go into dermatopathology and you look at something under the microscope, even then, sometimes we have to go to a third level, which is the molecular background of what the DNA looks like and what the proteins actually look like, even closer up than under the microscope. That's pretty amazing and cool that you guys can do all that. Sometimes when we send you all a biopsy, you will also do these things called special stains on the lesion that we send. Can you kind of elaborate on what that entails? Of course. Sometimes, for instance, we were talking about whether something is a melanoma or not. Often we can get back to the dermatologist really quickly, even within one day. And maybe if you've seen a dermatologist and gone through the experience, they'll tell you, The biopsy results will come back in a couple of days, and that's usually true. But sometimes we look at a biopsy under the microscope, and we notice that there are still some things we want to learn about that particular piece of tissue. 
And so what we do is we basically look for different flags or different colors that the cells are wearing, like as if you were a Patriots fan or a fan from a different football team, you'd always be able to tell that person based on the colors that they're wearing. And we can see that too under the microscope. Sometimes we need extra special stains or markers that attach to those colors so that we can see them better. That's right. Yeah. And different organs and different skin or cells from different parts of our body will sort of wear those different flags or (laughs) football jerseys, if you will. Yes. And when a neoplasm or a tumor starts to change and go from something that we're not worried about to something that we are worried about, sometimes they change the format of their colors that way as well. And that's a really cool thing about how medicine and dermatopathology has changed over the years and affected dermatology. Sometimes as a lesion evolves into something we're worried about, it changes the flags that it's holding up. It changes the colors very subtly, and we can do special tests to look for that. And as I said before, sometimes they're just pretty easy, take an extra day, we, we do an extra experiment on them. Sometimes they take molecular experiment where we actually look at the DNA or the protein more carefully. And those experiments are really cool because a lot of the new drugs coming out to help combat melanoma and other cancers are looking at those colors they basically go into your body and they attach to those colors so that your body can get rid of those tumors. And we can actually evaluate for that under the microscope and using molecular tests. It's really amazing. And the treatments we have in dermatology really just explode even in the last decade. So that's been really exciting to see. Let's maybe take a step back and just kind of go over what a biopsy is. And from a dermatologist's perspective, I will see a patient in my clinic or in my office, and they may have a lesion that looks a little bit worrisome to me or concerning. That's when I discuss with the patient, I think we should do a biopsy. That involves grabbing some numbing medicine, typically lidocaine. We numb up the area, and then I will take a scalpel, and I will just kind of shave the surface of the lesion off. I'm not trying necessarily to get the whole thing out. I'm really just trying to sample it. And then I will put it in a typically a formalin bottle. And then that's when I send it off to my dermatopathologist like Dr. Moore. And I know that the dermatopathologists like it when we put a little differential in where we sort of tell them our thoughts, what we're thinking. And then we see if that matches up with what they're thinking. Dr. Moore, can you kind of take us, walk us through what happens once that specimen in the bottle gets to the lab? Absolutely. Once the bottle comes into the laboratory, my team unpackages it, makes sure it's the right patient, it's from the right site, and then they take the little piece of tissue out of the bottle. By that point, as Dr. Mina explained, it was in formalin. So it's been a little bit fixed or pickled, and we take a look at it. It's a little hard at that point, and we cut it to a specified dimension so that we can place it in a machine to process it. And what the machine does is it infuses wax into the tissue so that we can cut it in very teeny tiny thin slices. 
And the reason why the slices have to be really, really thin is because I need to be able to see it with light passing through it. And so once they cut them as thin as possible, they attach them to a glass slide. And in the glass slide, I look at the tissue. Not only do I look at the tissue just the way it looks, the colors that it looks normally, but I add extra different ink colors to it so that certain things stand out away from other things. And the, the, the most common stains that we use are called hematoxylin and eosin. Hematoxylin is purple and eosin is pink. So I get to look at pink and purple all day long. And the most exciting thing for me is when I make a diagnosis, okay, I see this pattern of cells and I think that that is a nevus, a benign melanocytic proliferation. And then I look at the sheet and I say, oh my gosh, Dr. Mina thought the same thing. So (laughs) rock on Dr. Mina. She already knew what it was. So that makes me super excited. I don't know from your standpoint, if you have something that you weren't really sure about and you write it down, do you get excited when you see like, yes, I was right? (laughs) For sure. It definitely is a great feeling when you get that clinical pathological correlation that what you saw matches up with what's seen under the microscope. It's a great feeling. Totally. And one thing that I've taken into my practice, I don't know how many other dermatopathologists do this, but to me, my relationship with my dermatologist is very important. And through my dermatologist, my patient, even though I never get to see the dermatology patients or very rarely except for their little piece of tissue on my glass slide. But one thing that I've started doing over my lifetime is I send a goodwill intention to the dermatologist. Like I said, like, oh yeah, like we're on the same track or, oh, she has something that she needs to explain to me because we're off. And I'm just curious why she thought that. Those are usually times when I give the dermatologist a call and just ask them like, hey, like, I noticed that you were a little bit off for me. Why did you think that? And sometimes I learn little nuggets that I didn't take into account because I didn't get to see the patient myself. And the other thing that I do is I send a good intention to the patient. And I just wanted your audience to know that even though you never see your dermatopathologist, they get to see your slide they feel for you if they have to render a diagnosis that might mean that you have to go through another procedure or even you know chemotherapy or something like that. Even if it's just a rash, we actually put emotion into that and give you a little bit of love, like a virtual hug and like consider, you know, I hope that this patient does well. And so I think that's something that a lot of people really don't know is that there's this extra person out there that you never see and you maybe didn't even know it existed and still they're on your team and they're still rooting for you to do well. That's such a great thing to hear. And I I definitely remember from residency and and tumor boards where you get a, a bunch of doctors in different fields and the pathologist would put up a slide and we would review it and discuss it. And you're absolutely right. Even though you all aren't coming personally into contact 
with the patient other than their slide hurts all of us. We all feel that pain when it's a melanoma that we've got to write on the diagnosis line and I've got to pick up the phone and call the patient. So even though the pathologist you may not see, they have a crucial, crucial role in your care and and they're really the ones making that final diagnosis. Absolutely. And you make a great point about having a good relationship with your dermatopathologist and dermatologist. It's a two-way street. I had a patient the other day who had a spot under her skin, felt like a very small mundane cyst to me, but it was new and it was bothering her. And I did a sample and I, I sent it in and my differential diagnosis, which is what we put down on sort of the list of things we think it could be, I put cyst. And my good dermatopathologist, when she was reading the slide, realized, wait a minute, this isn't a cyst. This is something much more deviant and and malignant. And she got on the phone and we had a, a good discussion on what I saw clinically and what she was seeing under the microscope. And by working together, we were able to come up with a plan for the patient to make sure we got this lesion out, which we believe is a poorly differentiated squamous cell carcinoma, which is a lot different from a diagnosis of a benign cyst. Oh, that is so great that you have that kind of a relationship. I'm so happy to hear that. It makes such a difference for sure. Do you find it helpful when your dermatologist sends you a photograph? I find it so helpful. And in fact, In my practice, if the dermatologist sends me a photograph, I commonly put it in my report with a photograph of the microscopic section as well. And I think that that's very helpful for dermatologists because unlike other specialties in the medical profession, dermatologists actually get a lot of training in pathology. And I think that it's helpful for them to see what they saw and then see what I saw and to calibrate where they are in their clinical spectrum. Now, how does an excision differ from a biopsy? Well, we talked about what happens when I get a biopsy. I finally get the slide. I take a look and I call Dr. Mina and I tell her, it's fine. You can leave it and just watch it heal. Or no, there's still leftover tumor there and you need to go back and take a wider excision. And the reason why is because Dr. Mina wants to respect your body. So if she's going to take a biopsy from you, she's going to take as much as she thinks is necessary for her to get a good answer. And also if she's worried about it, that at least it's out as much as she can take it out at that time. My job is to tell her, nope, you need to go back because It may be growing in a way that we can't quite see it, and there may be something left. And so Dr. Mina has rules about, okay, so if it's this type of tumor, I need to take two millimeters more around. And if it's this type of tumor, I need to take a centimeter around. And so we have these rules as to what to do depending on what my diagnosis is. And that's why sometimes you need a second procedure which is called an excision to excise the entire tumor out. 
that is when we go back and we really are trying to remove it completely, making sure there are no sneaky cells hidden under the skin that we don't see. And so we will take a safety margin around that biopsy site, getting around and under it. Typically, we'll put stitches in after that. And we will send it to Dr. Moore and our dermatopathologist to evaluate the margins to make sure it's all out. Exactly. Dermatopathology is just like anything else in medicine. It's not always black and white. And even when your dermatopathologists can see clear margins, the tumor is not going to the edge, it looks like you're well around it, there are times that these cells can be sneaky and they can recur. And fortunately, that's not the norm. But again, this is still an art, even when our tests say that something is sufficiently removed. And I think sometimes that can be frustrating, not just for the patients, but for your your physicians as well. For sure. If you have a pigmented lesion removed and you notice that the pigment is coming back, that's definitely something that you should call your dermatologist about and maybe have her take a second look. Absolutely. And typically we're following these patients pretty closely as well, but repigmentation around certainly the scar, particularly of a melanoma, we definitely want to know about. Absolutely. I kind of see it as a pyramid of diagnosis where first there's the patient or maybe the patient's family and they see something that they think is a little weird and they don't know what it is. Maybe they'll start by seeing their primary family practitioner and the family practitioner definitely has had some training in skin and some of them even do biopsies and are quite good at it. But the numbers show that the eye of a family practitioner or of an internist to see whether that spot is something that needs to be biopsied and worried about or something not, they're just not as accurate as a dermatologist. And it makes sense because a dermatologist focus only on that during their training. That's the whole thing about specializing, right? Is that you get really, really good at a small amount of medicine, and then that way you can make sure that you're doing the best that you can. Can you give us some insight into what you see under the microscope looking at our skin and how it relates to sun protection and sunscreen, antioxidants, and things like that? As many of you know, we believe that the UV rays from the sun can cause not only skin cancers, but also wrinkles and older looking skin. There are two different types of UV rays that we really are concerned of, UVA and UVB. And one of them goes a little bit deeper into the skin than the other one. One of them is more associated with causing cancers. And the other one is more associated with causing wrinkles and age spots. Honestly, both of them do both. So it doesn't really matter in the end. The really cool thing about your skin is that it does have a tiny amount of sun protection on its own in the form of a pigment called melanin. And inside your skin on the very top layer, there are cells that look like building blocks, like bricks, and those are called keratinocytes. Keratinocytes are building blocks of the skin 
And they make up basically the wall that is the barrier of your skin. They allow certain things to come in and certain things to stay out. Within the building blocks of your skin are also these tiny little cells called melanocytes. And they look like octopuses. They have a bunch of little arms that squeeze in between the bricks and they hold them together and they hug them and nourish them. And they nourish them with melanosomes, which are pigments that protect them from the sun. And the coolest thing about that is that in your body, the cells in your skin, they have something called the microparasol. Think of it as a picture, like a Van Gogh picture of a woman who's holding a parasol and she's protecting her head and her face from the sun. In the same way, melanosomes form a microparasol over the cell's nucleus, which is the most important part of the cell that holds all of its DNA, and they protect it like a little cap. And so if you look underneath the microscope at somebody's skin, you can see that every single cell is protected with a little bit of pigment right on top of its, what I think of as head. (laughs) And I think that that is just so cool. And the reason why it's protecting it is because the UV rays will scramble up the DNA inside of the nucleus or the head, and they'll cause it to not be able to grow in the right way. And that's when a melanoma will start to grow. When people get tan, that is actually your body responding to UV damage, trying to make more melanin to protect its little nucleus head. That is a great point. And it also brings up the fact that although all of our lives, most of us have been told to not get burned, but rather to get tan, actually getting tan is a indication that you've already had UV damage. For sure. Yeah. There's no such thing as a healthy tan. (laughs) (laughs) The other cool thing that we don't know as much about in relationship to a healthy tan is that your skin and melanocytes actually produce opioids. In a way, some people have hypothesized that that's why getting a tan feels so good because they're releasing a tiny amount of opioids that can potentially transform into serotonin or other feel-good drugs. And we're not really 100% sure what that pathway looks like, but it's definitely a possibility. Yeah. And well, and I I think, you know, clinically, we come across people who who seem to really be addicted to tanning. They have to do it just like being addicted to some other sort of drug. So that'll definitely be interesting to see where this research goes in the next coming years. Some tumors produce more opioids than others. And one tumor that has been shown in the literature to produce more opioids is a basal cell carcinoma. And that's just curious because often people will hide their basal cell carcinomas for many, many years, and they'll finally come to the doctor and they're really big and quite destructive. And some scientists have hypothesized that it has something to do with the opioids making them feel like it's not so bad. That is new to me. So that is really interesting to hear that. And and certainly we do see it where patients come in 
with very delayed (laughs) presentation with their basal cell. For sure. I think that there's a big spectrum of patients who feel very nervous and anxious and really keep a really great look on their bodies and others, they just kind of want to avoid it. If there's anything on your body that you think is not right, then you should definitely tell the physician that because we have our rules of what we look for when we're trying to decide if something needs to be biopsied or not. And one of them is is a patient worried about it? Absolutely. Even if I'm not worried about it, if I know that my patient is losing sleep over this spot and they just need it off their body to be able to move on, uh, absolutely, I will I will sample that for them. And there have been times that I'm surprised. So I think if the patient's worried enough about it, it's coming off <laughs> typically. I have a story about a patient's concern. I have seen patients in clinic before, but it's been a good 10 years since I've really had a dedicated clinic where I was looking at patients myself. One day I was in my office and one of the young employees at my laboratory came into my office and she closed the door. And that always makes me a little nervous. She was pregnant. She was quite young, like mid to late 20s. And she said, Dr. Moore, I'm really worried because I have a new mole. And I always get worried when a pregnant woman tells me that she has a new mole because moles can change during pregnancy. And also sometimes they can change in a bad way. And there's just so many hormones going on that you really, it's sort of like a wild card. So I said, okay, well, let me take a look at it. She lifted up her shirt and on her belly, sure enough, there was a pigmented lesion and it was a little irregular, but it looked like it was raised. So I just assumed that it was a seborrheic keratosis, which is a benign lesion that happens more and more the older you get. I was a little embarrassed though, because I didn't want to tell this young mom that she had an age spot. (laughs) And so I said, I don't think that it's anything bad, but I think that if it continues to bother you, you should make an appointment with your dermatologist. And I didn't hear back from her for a few weeks. And then about a month later, she came in my office again and she said, Dr. Moore, I found out what that lesion was. And I said, what? And she said, I went home that night and I took a closer look at it and I realized that it's chocolate. <laughs> so obviously I'd not looked very carefully. But. I'm sure you would have been able to diagnose that accurately under the microscope, Dr. Moore. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen chocolate under the microscope. Yeah, I don't I don't know how that would process. All right. Well, one other thing I'd like to mention, just because as a, a Mo surgeon, I'm looking at skin under the microscope every day looking at, you know, basal cells and squamous cells. And one thing that I I wish I could put on a poster and, and show people is how the sun damages your skin over time. When I look at a patient who has younger skin, you know, maybe their 20s or their 30s, you know, you don't see the sun damage that you see in someone who is older and particularly on a part of the body that gets a lot of sun damage like the face or the arms, uh, you get this thing called solar elastosis where the normal pink healthy collagen has been replaced by these sort of thready blue strands. To me, that's just so so telling of the power of the sun and what happens to our skin with age. And, you know, I don't know if, if that 
still strikes you, Dr. Moore, as much as you look at the skin, but probably on a daily basis, I'm amazed at the power of what the sun can do to skin. Absolutely. Solar elastosis is so weird. It's like all the nice laid down collagen that you usually see starts to get frayed, as you were saying, and even it starts to clump up. And sometimes a dermatologist will send me a biopsy of something that they thought was some kind of a tumor. And really all it is, is that collagen that's messed up from the sun and it's making balls. And we call that nodular solar elastosis. All right. Well, any last tidbits or pearls or nerdy dermatopathology facts you want to share with us, Dr. Moore? Well, I have one more thing. One of the medications that they will prescribe to you if you're worried about aging is a retinoid like Retin-A or there's a lot of different brands out there now, both on, on the shelf and off the shelf. The cool thing about retinoids that I think a lot of people don't really know is that what they do is they take those bricks that I was talking about before, keratinocytes, and they help them to cycle a little bit faster. And then it's sort of like the retinoid is going in and it's talking to the keratinocytes and saying, okay, keratinocytes, let's glow. You don't have to convince me on the benefits of retinoids and retinols. I think it says close to a, you know, quote, miracle cream as we have in in dermatology and the anti-aging arena. So that's great to see that you can even sort of see those changes under the microscope. Yep. It's real. All right. Well, Dr. Moore, where can our listeners find you if they want to get in touch with you or have other questions or want to learn more about some of the cool things you're doing? I work on the central coast of California And the laboratory that I'm affiliated with is called WDSL, Western Diagnostic Services Laboratory. And I also have a coaching business, which is a success strategy business for intelligent professional women. And that is called She Is Money. And you can find me at either of those places. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely include those handles in the show notes. And I want to thank you so much, Dr. Moore, for joining me on today's episode. Thank you. It was so great to connect with you. Thank you so much for listening to The Skin Reel. I hope it's been informative, educational, and perhaps a little entertaining. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe and share with a friend. Don't want to stop your learning just yet? Head on over to theskinreel.com for show notes, blog posts, and so much more. Until next time, skin friends.